This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Psalm 33. As you make your way there, let me repeat what has already been said by wishing all of you dads a happy Father's Day. Uh, The biblical scholar F.F. Bruce once wrote, God is the archetypal father, and all other fatherhood is more or less an imperfect copy of his perfect fatherhood. And I believe that Mr. Bruce was right, that our God is the definition of perfect fatherhood, and none of us dads can even come close to fathering like our God fathers us. Yet, I'm thankful to stand among a brotherhood of men here in this church family who are serious about knowing God and equally serious about our role and responsibilities as fathers to imperfectly but wholeheartedly teach the next generation of who our God is. The heart of Christian fatherhood is pointing our children to the true and better Father. It is wanting them to see Him, point Him to His goodness and grace. And Guys, I'm sure that I echo the sentiment of both the women of our church and our children when I say thank you for the ways that we see you pointing our attention to God and the ways that you love and lead and sacrifice and serve, provide and protect Discipline and disciple your children. Thank you. We praise God for you. Our church is stronger because of men who love Jesus and are serious about passing our faith down to the coming generation. We're also mindful, as Michael prayed earlier, of those of you who may be grieving the loss of your father today or perhaps a fractured relationship with your dad that makes us a painful day. We stand with you and are praying for you today. The book of Psalms is where we are throughout this summer. Charles Spurgeon once said, If I had nothing else to think of, I would have thought of nothing else. That's how much he loved the Psalms. And I can resonate with a lot of that sentiment. And while I have had other things to think about than the Psalms over these last two weeks, I've had extra time to think about Psalm 33. I've spent a great time in this chapter, reading it multiple times, sometimes as uh, reading it doxologically, just as a hymn of praise and worship to the Lord. Other times reading it theologically, what I can learn and gather from this passage of how it teaches me who God is and what He's like. More than once I've read it when I needed God to shepherd my own soul, reminding me what kind of father He is. I've come to love this passage, and I pray that each of us this morning would, in a way, make it our own hymn of praise to God, and that we might, for ourselves, discover the truths of who God is from this great text, and that our Heavenly Father would pastor each of us as we look to His Word. The content of this song that we explore today contains... I believe, an instructive invitation for you and me to come trust and delight in the Lord. 
Um, I want to do that more than ever before. And so here's my question for each of us. How are you growing in your practice of trusting and delighting in the Lord? Psalm 33 is full of pure praise to who God is and for all he's done. This is a God-centered psalm that begins by welcoming all of God's people to this life of unceasing praise. It ends with a call for our continual trust. And the theme in the middle of this song revolves around the Lord as supreme creator, sovereign ruler, righteous judge, mighty savior. And at the heart of this passage is a divine command for us to come, trust, and rejoice in the Lord. This invitation is based on three specific faith-building, life-shaping, worship-provoking reasons that you and I can come trust and rejoice in Him today. First, the Word of the Lord ever stands. Second, the counsel of the Lord never fails. And third, the eyes of the Lord are always upon us. Three great comforts, reasons for us to come, trust, and rejoice in the Lord. Let me invite, if you would, to stand your feet once more as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. Psalm chapter 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits, enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first reason to trust and delight in the Lord is because the word of the Lord ever stands. Verses 1 through 9. The cornerstone laid for this foundation of trust and delight is nothing less than the rock of God's word. Everything else rests upon it. But before we arrive at that theme, we're welcomed by these opening three verses ringing with praise. The psalmist's heart bursts with such praise and overwhelming love for his God. He wants other people to join in it. In verse 1, he gives specific instruction to specific people. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Now this life-giving command is a divine combination of shouting and rejoicing in the Lord for who he is and for what he has done. Augustine uh, said that Christian rejoicing is not meant to be focused on ourselves and things that we've done. He warns against that, saying, that's not safe. We know that to be true, right? It's not safe for us to rejoice and pronounce all the things that we've done. But in the Lord is the object of Christian rejoicing and trust. The righteous spoken of are the righteous people of God, made righteous by faith in Him. And then he explains how right it is. Praise befits or is right for the upright. All who have been made righteous, praise is our rightful response. This includes our hearts and mouths being filled with praise to God. Look at these words. Shout, give thanks, make melody, sing. It's all these verbal responses. But notice how instrumental instruments are in the praise of God. Please forgive me for that, but you see, it's right there. The lyre is this antique guitar. The harp, this ancient piano. And here is one of many places we see that instruments are to be used in the worship of God. So each week, our musicians are walking in command to the Bible in assisting us in our singing of uh, new songs of praise to God. We do so with the full encouragement of the Scripture. Psalm 33.3 is the only place that excellence in music is uh, called for. And as a mediocre guitar player at best, I'm very thankful for that. But praise the Lord for the musicians that he's given to our church. Can we just thank them real quick? We praise God for you. Notice that they're to play skillfully on the strings that accompany this new song. Why the new song? Well, the new song is paired with the new mercies of God that greet us every morning. Some scholars think this is pointing back to Psalm 32 for the forgiveness of sin, the full forgiveness of sin that we know now in Christ. But certainly there are things that, the, that God is doing in the psalmist's life and in the life of his people. So can I ask, what new songs of praise do you have to sing today? What has God done in your life? that you have to tell of with a heart of thankfulness this morning. Shout, sing, make melody. We go on to read in verses 4 through 9, the songwriter particularly wants the people to sing a new song, I think, in response to the purity and power of the Word of God. 
This is what we see unfold in verses 4 through 9, the purity and power of the Word of God. Um, One of the main rhythms in the Christian life is revelation and response. The Lord has revealed Himself to us through His Word, and now we respond with wonder and worship, trust and delight, obedience and love. Verses 4 and 5 overflow with adjectives, celebrating the purity of the Word of God, upright, faithfulness, righteousness, justice, steadfast love, all of these things flowing from God Himself through His Word. Notice how these words join together and describe the words of God and the works of God. There's perfect harmony between who God is what God says, and how God acts. We've got to see that. There's perfect harmony between who God is, what God says, and how God acts. So since the Lord is perfectly upright, His word is also. God doesn't change anything that He has spoken or ever go back on His promises. His work is done in faultless faithfulness. There's no fault in anything that he does. Verse 5 makes plain that God never delights in wickedness or in wrongdoing, but is the very author of righteousness and justice. This means that every verdict comes from his will. Each ruling comes from his throne. Every work of his hand is according to his eternal plans and purposes, all aiming at his glory and for the good of his people. So whatever God does is a righteous expression of His wisdom and in perfect conformity to His will. One poet sums up this idea of the purity of the Word of God like this. God writes with a pen that never blots, speaks with a tongue that never slips, acts with a hand which never fails. God's Word is perfectly pure. Now, verses 6, 7, and 9 come together to celebrate the creative power of the Word, the creativity of God. After declaring that His steadfast love fills the earth, the psalmist pauses to make sure we're all on the same page, understanding that it's it's God Himself that created the earth, that this was a work of God's creating power through His Word. The psalmist points to the skies and the seas and everything between and traces their genesis back to God Himself. He is the one who spoke into existence all things, the sovereign one who fashions oceans deep by whisper strong, who rends the waters from the land and lends the depths her song. The fullness of the sky and sea in reverence do they stand to testify the sovereignty and goodness of his hand. Verse 6 sings, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and that by the breath of his mouth all their heavenly hosts were made. Now this is an important pairing, uh, creating and breathing, making and breathing. We saw this back in Exodus, but this is even older than that. This goes all the way back to In the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. There we read how God created the heavens and the earth. 
and also how the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, here in verse 6, when we say the heavens were made by the word of the Lord and then by the breath of his mouth all heavenly hosts were made, that's the Hebrew word ruach. Do you remember this word? So we saw this back with the parting of the waters and this goes all the way back to Genesis 1. So we see the creating agency of God through the, the ruach of God, through his very breath all things come into being. Creation is not happenstance. It is a work of providence. God fashioned into being all that has come. Now, then the New Testament fills that picture even more, showing how the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, was involved. Matter of fact, Colossians 1.16 says that all things were created through Him and for Him. Everything exists for Him. So the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are at work in fashioning all things. God was the author of the Milky Way and the composer of a baby's cry. What reason do we have to sing new songs of praise this morning? One is that the truth of the Lord, the word of the Lord, ever stands. I think the right response to this idea of the purity and power of God's word is just tucked right here in our text in verse 8. Look at it with me. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Sometimes the best response when we come face-to-face with the Word of God is just to have our hearts stand in awe of Him. To let our hearts tremble and fear before who He is. So when's the last time you just stood in awe at the Word of the Lord? Maybe today would be that day. Trust and delight in the Lord because the Word of the Lord ever stands. You can rest your head on that tonight. The second reason to trust and delight in him is because the counsel of the Lord never fails. Verses 10 and 12. Now, at the pinnacle of this psalm stand three small verses containing one massively important truth for us to believe and rejoice in. What is this massively important truth? That the counsel of the Lord... That means his plans, his purposes are sovereign over all. That he's in charge, he's in control. And how the psalmist sings of this is by contrasting the counsel of the world or the counsel of the nations against the counsel of the Lord. Verse 10 begins by focusing on the counsel of the nations. and In a sense, this verse is a textbook piece of wisdom literature. It's meant to make us wise. The Psalms are classified in the genre of wisdom literature. And this Psalm teaches us that the counsel and the wisdom of the world is nothing in in comparison to the counsel and the wisdom of God. The nations of the earth flex their might and power and wealth and greatness. But each of these temporary gifts From God can be taken at any moment by God. 
the most strategic plans of the nations, the most strategic plans that we might formulate of our own could be frustrated by God whenever and however he pleases. God's counsel is as weighty as his glory in compared to the counsel of the world, which is weightless. He is the sun. They are but a shadow. Ultimately, the counsel of the nations is nothing in comparison to the counsel of the Lord. Verse 11 is the hinge on which this psalm swings. It's an anchor of trust, a blazing fire of delight for the people of God. This is what the psalmist sings. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Before he talks about any of the benefits that flow from the counsel of the Lord, before any imperatives are outlined, the psalmist simply sings of how remarkable this is in and of itself. That nothing can come against it. That the counsel of God rules and reigns higher than anything else. This means that the wisdom of the nations will rise and fall. The ideas of kings and kingdoms will come and go. But the wisdom of our God, His purpose and plans remain unchanged. And it will endure until the end. Well, how long is that? In the words of the great prophet Randy Travis, forever and ever, amen. Forever and ever, amen. Kids, if you don't know who Randy Travis is, ask your parents to put a cassette tape of him in on the way home today. Forever. Okay, when we get to verse 12, the benefits that flow from the counsel of the Lord are magnified. They come into view. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. To the people who trust not in their own counsel, because that's what the world teaches us to do. Trust in yourself. Live by your own code. But no, we look to a higher word. And as we do that, blessings flow our way. But it's not that we were wise enough to choose God. Notice that we are the people that he has Chosen. What a comfort that is. The right response to these three verses is very simple. I did not say it was easy, but it is very simple. The Lord is calling us through his word to trust in his counsel, his word, and his ways rather than the counsel, the words, and the ways of this world. That's what's in store for us. So allow me just to address the men of the Trails Church for just a moment. I don't think it's any stretch to pull in Psalm 1 here as we think about this verse. Blessed is the man whose God is the Lord. Or on a day like today, blessed is the Father whose God is the Lord. And so dads, let me just encourage us, me included, specifically to resist trusting in the counsel of this world, which will leave us dry and thirsty, and instead make it our aim to drink deeply from the counsel of the Lord given to us in his word, to be men of the book, 
to go to God and resisting this impulse we have to trust in the fleeting counsel of this world. Wives, children, can I just ask you on this day to pray for the men of our church? Wives, pray for your husband. Children, you know your dad needs you to pray for him all the time? To be praying for him regularly, that we would be men who live in the counsel of the Lord, who love the counsel of the Lord. Let's pray that God would do a mighty work in the men of our church, that we would boldly lead and serve and love and give our lives for the good of our wives and children. That we would seek the Lord and that our families would flourish under that kind of leadership, the way that the Father intended us. But it's not just dads. All of us are welcome into this joy, remembering that we can trust and delight in the Lord because the counsel of our God never fails. The third reason that I believe we have to trust and delight in him is because the eyes of the Lord are always upon us. Verses 13 through 19. Now the picture of God described here is one of him highly exalted, dwelling above, while at the same time he condescends to look down below. The God of Scripture is not an absentee God or a maker who has pulled back from his creation. He's providentially involved. And what I want to show you in these lyrics is that the way that they move from lesser to greater as it talks about the eyes of the Lord. Scripture tells us the gaze of God is fixed on all of humanity and that our existence, he sees it. But notice He uniquely sees and cares for a particular people, a peculiar people, to a greater degree. That's you and me. So first, let's look at the way that the Lord sees all of humanity. And that word, all, marks the path of the watchful care of God. It's repeated three times. He sees all. There's not one person hidden from his sight From the least to the greatest, God sees everyone. Even further, verse 15 says that God fashioned the hearts of them all, so God made all. Every son of Adam, every daughter of Eve bears the image of God Almighty. And then third, he observes all their deeds. Now, That sounds a lot like sees, but the Hebrew word here carries with it the idea, not only that he sees, but this is more intentional. It's more intense. He watches, he discerns, he considers what he sees. Uh, This is reminiscent of what happens at the Tower of Babel, where God looked down and saw the pride of mankind scheming with their plans to make a name for themselves. God sees the sin of this world. He doesn't miss one thing. Verses 16 and 17 then try to unravel any hope or trust or confidence that we might look to in this world for salvation. Salvation can't be found in this world. Uh, Even kings are not saved by their armies. Warriors don't overcome by their strength. Uh, The warning is not to look to kings or armies, warriors or horses or any power to save because they're simply too weak. 
The Lord sees it all. But then notice this change in verse 18. Behold, what does that mean? Look, see this. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. So the gaze of God attends his children in a unique way. You might say like a father watching over his children, loving and leading, providing and protecting, disciplining and discipling his children. Verse 19 proclaims the Lord alone can deliver. So if in 13 to 17, kings and warriors and horses, none of those can save, look at what the Lord can do. The way that God sees his people on those whom his steadfast love is set, he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive. What the psalmist wants us to know is none can save but God. And maybe you came here this morning and you need to hear, you need to hear that. You've looked everywhere for salvation in this world, in government, in politics, in sin, in running from God, in yourself. And every single one is a dead end. What Psalm 33, 18 is telling you to do is look up. The way the New Testament tells us to put our faith in Christ is to repent of our sin and to believe in him. So perhaps the Lord in his providence, in his eternal decree, saw fit that on June 19th, 2022, you would walk into this elementary school, a sinner who'd been looking for hope everywhere in this world, listening to the counsel of this world, but you would walk out a son, a daughter of God. He has the power to save. Turn to him today in faith and repentance. The final three verses of the psalm lead us to know how we might respond to the revelation of Psalm 33. So God has spoken who he is through this word, and now he teaches us how to respond. Aren't the Psalms wonderful? Man. So we're, we're introduced with this change to the first person possessive plural voice. Now I know it's summertime. Maybe there's a junior or a senior or an English teacher who's off the clock right now. But notice... When the psalm starts, the psalmist is talking to everybody. He's just declaring. And now when we get to 20, everything changes. Now he's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us how to sing in response to what he said. So what does he say? Well, our soul waits for the Lord. Why? Because he is our help and shield. So what are we supposed to do? Then wait for the Lord. Why? Because he is our help and shield. Well, for our heart is glad in him. So we wait, we choose gladness, we choose joy in God. Why? Because we trust in his holy name. Joy and trust are linked. Come, let us trust and delight in the Lord. When we trust in him, our rejoicing is linked to that. And then verse 22 is, is really a prayer. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. 
John Calvin highlighted that there's this emphasis on the word soul that should be considered. It includes the idea of just deep affection, as if believers should say, we sincerely rely upon God with our whole heart, because he alone is our hope and our shield. So brothers and sisters, just look at verse 1. This is what he calls us. Oh, you righteous, come, trust and delight in the Lord. Let our souls wait for him because we know him to be our help and our shield. Let us together be glad because we trust in his holy name. And let us hope in the Lord, knowing that his steadfast love, his covenantal love, his unchanging love has been fixed on us like his eyes have been. And when did that happen? Well, Paul says, even before the foundations of the earth were laid, the loving gaze of our Father has been fixed on us. Not one of your sorrows goes undetected. Not one sigh is missed. His eye is on you. So Psalm 33 begins by welcoming all of God's people to this life of unceasing praise. Why? Because of who God is. It ends with this call for continual trust. Why? Because of who God is. This invitation is based on these wonderful reasons that are outlined in the middle of this psalm, that the word of the Lord ever stands, the counsel of the Lord never fails, and the eyes of the Lord are always upon us. So what is left for us to do? Come, trust and delight in the Lord. Let's pray for his help in that. God, I want to just echo the prayer of verse 18 here. And ask you, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let our souls wait for you, our help and shield. Let our hearts be glad in you as we trust in your holy name. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.